In 1842, Harvard Medical School employed a janitor by the name of Ephraim Littlefield to supply them with cadavers at $25 apiece. One pictures Littlefield in a black overcoat scaling the wrought iron gates of a foggy Victorian cemetery, spade and shovel in hand. The medical school needed cadavers, Sarah, so that future doctors could learn anatomy. I mean, can you imagine having a doctor who didn't know human anatomy? And the demand way outweighed the supply. In fact, Harvard Medical School was established in the 1770s by a man named John Warren. And John Warren was part of the Spunkers Club, who were, in fact, grave robbers. This casts some very interesting historical shade on what's currently going on at the morgue at the Harvard Medical School. Welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Welcome back to Ivy League Murders. We, of course, are covering the morgue case at Harvard. And this is a shocking one. It is. And we are just thanking the gods of weird news because this one is is incredible. And we're calling this episode The Body Snatchers of Harvard. Okay, so if you Google Harvard Morgue right now, you get 25 million hits. And I'm just warning people that this episode may not be for the like the week of stomach, like major trigger warnings on this episode. This is a huge scandal at the Harvard Medical School morgue. So the manager of the morgue, Cedric Lodge, who's 55 years old, Lodge and his wife, Denise, and three other co-conspirators are accused of trafficking human remains and also selling them across state lines. So far, according to the federal indictment, Lodge would harvest body parts from the donated bodies. These are, mind you, from the Harvard morgue Then the lodges also kept the remains in their house in Goffstown, New Hampshire, and sold them. We'll explain a little more in in detail. So, Laura, how did did this all start? Like, how did the feds get onto this? So, oddly enough, it all started with a call to the police that Jeremy Pauly, who was a purveyor of creepy goods, I would say, and is also, Sarah, I don't know if you want to describe him, but he's... He's a little alarming looking. And somebody called and said he had human remains in his house. An anonymous call. And the police went out once and found bones, which apparently it's quite legal to have. And they thought he had obtained them legally. And then they, a few months later, got another call and went back and found organs and all kinds of 
other human remains in his, I think, a liver. And at that point, he was arrested. Now, I'm, I, this is speculation that this may have kicked off the investigation because this was 11 months ago, and now we see an indictment at Harvard. So my assumption is that kicked off an investigation that led to Denise and that led to Cedric. That's exactly right. And again, Laura referred to it, but if you look at pictures of Jeffrey Pauly, and now it's pretty, I have to say it's almost iconic, half of his face is tattooed. I hate to judge anybody by the way they look, but my God, this guy looks like a cadaverous ghoul. He really does. Also, one of the other people that Pauly obtained some of the human remains from is a woman by the name of Katrina McLean. She owns a place called Cat's Creepy Creations. This is right up in Peabody, Massachusetts, by the way. And if you Google, she creates these very macabre looking dolls. And she also, she was obtaining human remains from Cedric and Denise Lodge. So she came to the Harvard morgue and would obtain by human remains. These are people who are, I believe they're sort of post- they have already been dissected at the Harvard morgue and at Cedric Lodge would then sell these pieces. One of the more disturbing things, Laura, is that Kat McLean would sell Jeffrey Pauly human skin to be tanned. She obtained also two dissected faces from the from the lodges. I mean, this is this is ghoul material beyond Absolutely. Belief. And from what we can see now, it seems that Cedric was at the morgue and he was selling to Katrina, who was then selling to other people. They were using social media. I didn't know you could buy body parts on social media. Apparently, there's forums for this. Yeah, there's a Facebook so, page. Yeah. Yes. So she was kind of the middle woman while also using these human remains herself, apparently, if she wanted tanned skin. But I mean, this is right out of a horror movie. We've seen cases like this before. It's usually done primarily for financial reasons, sold to medical companies, but to be sold for no reason other than ghoulish hobbies is really beyond the pale, Sarah. And there's also another man who's implicated in this by the name of Joshua Taylor. He also procured human remains from the lodges and to the amount of $32,000, basically, and through PayPal. These guys are not even going on the deep web and, and getting these things. They're not being discreet about it at all. And if you're familiar with PayPal or Venmo, in the taglines, he's got stuff like head number seven and brains spelled out like a zombie kind of brains kind of thing. And I looked up Cedric Lodge. So on his LinkedIn page, he has actually been the morgue manager for Harvard since 1995. And I just wanted to give our listeners a little bit of perspective because I spoke to somebody at Harvard. This is called the anatomical gifts program, right? Where people donate their bodies to science. And normally those cadavers are taken and dissected by Harvard medical and dental students for education and research purposes, and then returned to the families for cremation. And Laurie, you had a great point about who donates their bodies. Absolutely, Sarah. And, uh, you know, this is a case that's hit close to home for you and I, because it's something that has affected our families in a sense. 
that my mother is donating her body to science. This has been something she's wanted to do for a long time. She's donating her body to Tufts, actually. And the reasons she's doing it are completely altruistic. My mother's been the recipient of great medical care living in Boston. And many of these breakthroughs have happened through medical experiments and tests and trials and all kinds of things. And I think especially living here, you see the fruits of that so much that many people, and my guess is especially people who work in academia and see this type of research, feel this is a really good thing to do. And this is what my mother and some and her sister both feel strongly. And I know it, you have similar experiences in your family. That's exactly right. These families and these individuals, it really is an altruistic thing to do. You are giving your body to science to go be dissected. And I spoke to somebody who taught gross anatomy at Harvard for 25 years, and she told me that the anatomical gift program, the process was that they would have a class for the medical students, right? This is first year medical students that the cadaver would be embalmed, obviously, and would be dissected over the course of several months. And she didn't have any real dealings with the morgue. They would just sort of receive the bodies for the class. It was really kind of touchy. She said that at the end of the term, the cadaver would be cremated, but that the medical students would have a kind of memorial for the body, that there was a lot of reverence. There weren't people taking pictures with the head that type of thing. Nothing like that. It was treated very respectfully. And, and the students really saw it as such a privilege that somebody was giving of themselves to teach them. And again, she said for surgery, for orthopedics, they would get part of the spine and the feet and, and dental students would get the face so they would know where to make the injections, where the nerves were and the ganglia were. It was really pretty interesting, but that's that side of the Harvard Medical School. The morgue side, clearly a lot of stuff was going down. This guy, Cedric Lodge, has been there since 1995. I don't think this whole thing started in 2018. I think- It is UI. Tip of the iceberg here. Tip of the iceberg. We also looked into the Mastro Marino case. You dove into that, the Brooklyn case of the- uh, literally the body chop shop above the funeral home in Brooklyn, which I don't know, we can go into that. We don't have to here. What I found so interesting though, Laura, is that once you are dead, parts of your body, you are not treated as human. You are treated as goods. And what these people are charged with, as ghoulish as it is, as disrespectful as it is, these parts of bodies are treated like illegal goods. It's like guns. It's something inanimate. It's not part of a human. So I thought that was very interesting. I think we will see additional charges coming. We're seeing federal charges right now because this went across state lines, but we may see some state charges tacked on as well. But this has been a real eye-opener. I had no idea that this body business was so big, was so lucrative, and it's, it's been an awakening to realize that there's really a whole kind of side industry out there of body brokers. There is. Now, what, what's confusing to me is that it is not legal to sell body parts. However, you have these body brokers 
who are licensed to do this, I guess, to sell bodies, parts of bodies for medical research, for tissues, all of that kind of thing. What what I'm intrigued with here, though, Laura, how big is the industry for human remains that for non-medical reasons? That's the expose right. I want to see here. Absolutely. And I think we're going to see the whole industry here get opened up from the darkness from this. I think most of it is medical because that's where the real money is. This is a very lucrative business. And what we've seen is there are lots of people who donate for altruistic or personal reasons. There are also for-profit companies. Sometimes a body won't be accepted by a university. You may be too old or I don't know all the parameters. And they will partner, and this this is a very unregulated industry, with maybe another local company, so that if when my mother's time comes, I call Tufts, they may say, we can't take her. This lab can, and I may not know that that lab is going to sell those parts. It's all about consent, Sarah. This yeah. is all about consent. When you donate to a university, most universities have this program. You are only giving consent for the medical students to use the body. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you hit it on the head. And what the assumption was for these people who donated their body. And meanwhile, both of my grandparents donated their bodies to Harvard. And what the assumption is, is that Harvard is going to take care of your loved ones and use it in an appropriate way. And of course, there is a giant class action suit, about 300 to 400 families. There's a tragic article in the New York Post about a guy who knows that one of his wives was one of the body parts that Cedric Lodge and his wife sold. So this is just going to be a huge, huge case. And let's remind people, Harvard has a huge endowment and there's plenty of bucks there, but this is going to be a big thing, ongoing case. And, you know, Sarah, I rarely blame the universities. I'm really about personal responsibility. But in this case, shame on Harvard. Yeah. You mentioned it yesterday. They weren't watching what was going on. They were not overseeing this morgue at all for a long period of time. And the environment was created where this type of abuse could happen. And they're ultimately responsible for that. And they're going to pay the price. No, they are. I have a feeling there was very much in a place like Harvard. There's very much sort of behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. And behind the scenes, it doesn't really hold hands with in front of the scenes, as we've seen a gazillion times. I, of course, had to completely geek out on this, Laura. So that's our episode. But we're, these are little added things I want to throw in there, too. So 2010, I read a CNBC article, and it's like, what is your dead body worth? It was like essentially like a menu of prices, like a whole intact human head goes for $6,000, whereas like knee joints go for six fifty dollars a pop, pun intended. There are sort of set prices for these body parts because the supply will never kind of catch up to the demand is my thing. One of the more disturbing things I read, actually, I read two books on this. The Red Market was one of them, and I reread Mary Roach's Stiff which is a great book. But in the red market, the guy said, there's this sort of weird underground international trade. And one of the more disturbing things I read was about a gang of Bolivian serial killers who would harvest the fat from their victims 
and send the fat over to Europe to be incorporated into like high-end European beauty products. So if that kind of stuff is going on, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This really, a dark web expose investigation of this whole weird market needs to be conducted. And I'm, I'm sure it's underway. And I think what bothered me the most about it is there are these companies, these labs that come along and they take advantage of people from lower incomes, maybe who can't afford funeral costs, say donate to us. You may not read the fine print. You may think you're just donating to science. And in the fine print, they can sell your body by signing that or your loved one's body or consenting to that. Another example of low socioeconomic groups getting taken advantage of really bothers me. They do that because then the, then the cremation or the funeral costs are offset by the donation. But that's in this country. I read in the, in the red market about whole villages of poor Indian women, especially like getting their organs harvested for pennies for Western markets. Not only that, you read this too, that, you know, the Chinese are also taking organs out of live and corneas out of live prisoners, like enemies of the state or whatever. It is horrific. It is. It's horrific. And, and, it, and it's my understanding that this has picked up a lot since the early 2000s, where more and more human parts are being used in medical procedures. So there, the need, like you said, has grown exponentially, but the availability of bodies is not there. So it's money. So there's a whole black market for this. And it's just really disappointing, I think, to see an institution like Harvard involved in something. It saddens me. I think it's horrible. It saddens me as well. What saddens me is I think it's really going to have a chilling effect on people donating their bodies. I thought about donating my body and now I'm like, no, I don't really want to end up on Jeffrey Polly's lampshades, whatever the hell he's doing with tanned human skin. Well, um, there are other options besides Harvard, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> but who knows? I think a giant expose. Mary Roach, we tried to get you on the show. Write a book about this, please. Oh, I'm sure somebody, this is, I'm sure publishers are flipping out right now. This is a big story and we will keep everybody updated because it's going to keep happening. There's going to be court appearances, which we will attend, hopefully, and we will keep everybody abreast of the story. Murder, murder, murder.